Thank you very much. It's a pleasure to be here in Australia. This is actually my fourth trip in six years. My very first one was actually to speak at a conference, a major one on the Henry Report in 2011, which actually did have a lot of very interesting and I think useful recommendations, although I uh, pointed out a major problem with the mining tax at that time. Uh, but uh, I do think that it was kind of too bad that some of the important recommendations have been lost um, that, uh, uh, that did come out of that report, including uh, uh, the, the recommendation to lower the corporate income tax rate uh, from 30 to 25 percent in Australia. But what I want to do, of course, is to talk about really two different experiences, uh, one between Australia and Canada, Canada where we have undertaken quite a bit of tax reform from the year 2000 going up to 2012, uh, and uh, as a result uh, we have uh, made a system much more competitive, which I'll describe in a moment. Uh, well, uh, Australia has been stuck in the qui uh, quicksand, uh, the title uh, for today. So what are my uh, key points that I do want to talk about? First of all, uh, Canada actually had the highest tax burden on new investment uh, amongst all OECD countries in the year 2000. When you take into account all the different taxes on capital, uh, such as corporate income taxes and its various provisions. The, it's not just the rate, but it's also how you treat depreciation, inventory costs, et cetera. Um, also, uh, we had a capital tax, which was uh, a rate of tax that was on gross assets at both federal and provincial levels. And then also, uh, we had retail sales taxes at the provincial level, uh, where there was a very significant tax on capital purchases. Uh, as a result of uh, the sales tax uh, at the provincial level. The federal government had eliminated its manufacturer's sales tax back in 1991 and adopted the GST, removing actually a significant tax and capital uh, investment at that time. But all the provincial ones had remained uh, in 2000. And I'm going to uh, go through this a little bit in more detail, uh, but uh, we actually, uh, during that period, made changes with respect to all these three important taxes. And as a result, we had quite a large reduction in the uh, effective tax rate on new investment, uh, so much so that actually we moved from the top of the pile uh, with the highest rate uh, to the middle of the pack uh, by 2012. Now this did yield uh, better investment performance. I'm glad uh, Michael saved me the trouble of going through that. Uh, you've seen the numbers already. Uh, that is true. One of the other things, our gross national income, now not our GDP improved too, uh, but uh, the 1990s was a bad period for Canada. We had very low productivity rates and everything else. But actually, when you look at uh, our growth rate in gross national income uh, during the, the decade after 2000, we actually had the highest performance amongst all the uh, G7 countries who we often like to compare ourselves to. And in fact, there were two reasons for that. One was the terms of trade effect that uh, Michael talked about. Uh, but the other was much better employment effects. And in fact, uh, the corporate tax uh, uh, reform that took place in Canada was really a story about, uh, about job creation uh, uh, more than anything else. And in fact, that there was very positive impacts uh, that uh, came about. And it wasn't just due to the commodity uh, tax uh, boom. In fact, there's a number of studies to support that also taxes played a role. Um, also, the revenue cost, as I'm going to show you, was not significant in Canada uh, with the rate cut. And that was because uh, the base expanded uh, quite a bit, uh, and, and because it was much more attractive for, uh, for, for businesses to keep profits in Canada uh, during that period because of the much lower rate of tax that, uh, that developed. 
And then finally, I'll say some things about Australia uh, and, and a few things about Trump reform. Uh, but of course, uh, Australia now is kind of a high-tax jurisdiction relative to others in the OECD. Now, what are the elements of the clean company income tax reform? First of all, federal provincial corporate income tax rate was reduced from approximately 43% when you do the averaging in 1999, which, by the way, was the highest at that time in the OECD, uh, to 26% by 2012. It is now slightly higher at 266 uh, that's mainly due to an increase in the corporate income tax rate in Alberta by two points when the national, when the new Democratic Party, which is our kin to your Labour Party here, uh, got elected. Uh, the federal rate has been, uh, during that period, was reduced from 29.12% to 15%, and so it's, I think you can quickly calculate what the provincial average rate is uh, from those numbers. We also undertook part of the reform was also broadening the tax base to match better capital cost allowances with economic depreciation. In fact, there are some cases where actually capital cost allowances improved, such as for pipelines, because the pipeline depreciation rate was inadequate relative to economic depreciation. Uh, in other cases, like automobiles, it was reduced. Uh, but there was better matching, the view that, uh, that we should try to have a neutral uh, corporate tax across different types of business activities. And there were some tax credits that were, were also removed uh, uh, during, this t uh, during, some, uh, during this period after 2000. Uh, as I mentioned, we eliminated the federal and provincial capital tax on gross assets, but mainly for non-financial corporations. They still remain for financial corporations at the provincial level, and it's a minimum tax on financial corporations uh, at the uh, corporate level, at the, at the federal level. And then finally, uh, we, and this has been important, uh, all, all provinces, except for British Columbia, Manitoba, and Saskatchewan, have now harmonized their uh, sales tax uh, with the uh, federal GST, and that removed a very significant tax uh, on capital purchases, in fact, had a pretty important impact uh, on the overall tax burden on, on businesses. By the way, BC did adopt uh, harmonization for a couple of years, but it was very, it was very uh, controversial, and actually they withdrew it, uh, and so they went from ha having one of the highest effective tax rates in, in across all the provinces to the middle of the pack, and then they moved back to the highest. Now this just gives you an idea about how the um, the effective tax rate on new investments, or what economists like to call the marginal effective tax rate, which is sort of the annualized amount of taxes paid as a share of the gross return to capital. So that's a gross return to both equity and and debt finance capital, uh, how uh, taking into account, again, corporate income taxes and all the different provisions, plus sales taxes on capital purchases and any capital-related taxes. And this is how it evolved uh, from 1997 to 2016. Uh, and you can see the orange bars, which is the effective tax rate on new investment, it declined much more uh, than actually the corporate income tax rate. So the story behind uh, Canada's corporate, uh, corporate tax reform is more than just about corporate income tax rates. It's much more about the base and the other taxes that were reduced that had a very significant change on the, on the burden on taxation. And so, for example, if you're looking at investment studies, you shouldn't be using the corporate income tax rate. One should really be looking at something akin to the marginal effective tax rate, which is actually what a lot of economists do uh, today in, in various studies. And this is what happened to our overall uh, uh, investment share. But you can see it did climb, uh, but it mainly climbed in construction, or what you might think of as non-residential buildings. 
uh, and uh, that uh, is partly reflected the commodity boom. But as you can see, one of the disappointments actually is the is the fact that machinery investments uh, as a share of GDP investment, that actually declined in Canada over this time. Uh, and that is partly due to the decline of the manufacturing and service sector, which I'll show you in a moment. One of these, this is probably one of the most interesting things that people don't often talk about, and that is what actually happened to revenues. So in this uh, diagram here, uh, you can see that the, the top blue line is the statutory uh, corporate income tax rates, the average ones, going from 2000 to 2011, and you can see it declined from 42% uh, to roughly 27.6% uh, by 2011. There was a little, another reduction in, in 2012. Um, you can see the effective rates, which is the red line. This is the actual corporate income taxes paid as a share of, um, of uh, profits, correcting for you know, consolidation and a number of other things, uh, and kicking out. Uh, we don't, none of this includes public uh, uh, corporations. Those are state-owned enterprises. And uh, as you can see, the, um, the effective tax rates actually started getting closer and closer to the statutory tax rates. Uh, after 2003. Part of this was the bank of past tax losses got used up, but also we did this base broadening, and that actually allowed for uh, the effective rates to get closer to the statutory tax rates uh, at that time. But the most interesting thing is the bottom three lines, which is, first of all, the um, green line is uh, profits as a share of GDP, uh, measured according to a national accounts basis. And, and as you can see, they move with the cycle with the little there was a bit of a recession in 2002, so profits a share of GDP dropped then, also dropped in, in 2009. Um, and, but the interesting one is the taxable income, corporate taxable income as a share of GDP. And you can see as it steadily rose during this whole period, even during the recession of 2009, which was as a result of the global financial crisis, uh, it still rose as a share of GDP. That's actually quite a phenomenal change in a way. You didn't see, you didn't see that in 2002, but you did see that in uh, 2009. And of course, there may be many reasons for it. One, one would have to understand it better, but certainly uh, the fact that many Canadian companies and foreign companies decided to try to keep profits in Canada, I think was certainly a major reason behind that, as a number of studies uh, have shown. And of course, the very final line is the one that I can tell you, my Minister of Finance at that time, Jim Flaherty, who unfortunately passed away, loved to quote this line. But you can see that corporate income tax at share of GDP uh, was relatively flat during this whole period. So the revenue losses weren't as severe as one would think, given this very significant reduction in statutory tax rates that happened uh, during this period. Now let me go on with a little bit of uh, emphasis on Australia. Um, this uh, provides you the average um, uh, share of private investment as, uh, of, of GDP. And uh, you can see, and very consistent really with the numbers that Michael had, that uh, this is when you take out mining, but if you just look at manufacturing and services, it's uh, during that period, it's roughly about 10% of GDP. Um, for Canada, actually, it's, it's even smaller. So there's been a very disappointing performance uh, in that sector after 2010 to 2015, but as we know, there could be other factors that play a role, whether it's regulations or whatever uh, that can, Im can impact on, on investment. Uh, but certainly, I think there's an important point made here for Australia, and that is it's not doing very well attracting manufacturing and service uh, investments. And, uh, and certainly, 
there's a need to think more about what can be done uh, with respect to that. And, uh, and certainly taxation can play a role. It may not be the only factor, uh, but it certainly can play a role. And uh, when you look at the statutory company income tax rate of 30 percent, uh, Australia is the sixth highest amongst all OECD countries. Uh, and uh, in this uh, work that we've done, which was presented last week at the Minerals Council of Australia, uh, the, um, we, we, we look at 43 different countries uh, in, in this work, and uh, Australia uh, comes out higher uh, relatively high, although there are some countries with pretty high company income tax rates, uh, like Zambia and India uh, and Brazil, but they're not part of the OECD uh, per se. Uh, but you can see that Australia even has a higher company income tax rate than uh, countries like uh, Italy, uh, Canada, and, uh, and, uh, and, and many others. And in fact, uh, out of 43 countries, uh, being six highest, that means there's 37 that are lower uh, than Australia. But it's not just the company income tax rate, as I mentioned, it's also the base and other taxes. Australia, for example, has the stamp duties that are included, uh, all the transfer taxes are included uh, in this analysis. And if you compare the 2010, which are the very light bars you see there, and then the darker bars are for 2017, uh, you can see there's a, there's, uh, Australia has been stuck in the, in, the, in the quicksand. There's been no change in the tax burden on investment uh, in, um, in, in past seven years. In fact, if I go back long enough to 2000, there's hardly been a change at all uh, in Australia. Um, but you can see there's been some countries that have done quite dramatic reforms. And in fact, on the, on the um, uh, yes, your left side, uh, you'll see the list of countries that have undertaken either reductions in company income tax rates or other taxes on capital, such as transfer taxes. Uh, so China has, uh, has lowered theirs. Uh, just going through the, through the system, you can see, interestingly, the Scandinavian countries. Uh, they tend to have even much lower effective tax rates on capital because they understood that you can afford better your larger public sectors if you don't tax capital heavily. And that's one thing that the Scandinavian countries have learned. Uh, over the years, and, and so uh, you can see, you know, uh, all these comparisons uh, as a result. And Australia, of course, has a much higher uh, tax burden on investment compared uh, to the OECD uh, in general, where the OECD is, rough, is roughly around 19 percent, uh, and Australia is at 28.7 percent, if I recall. So it's almost a, a 10-point difference in the tax burden on investment. So certainly Australia does have a tax competitiveness uh, disadvantage for manufacturing and service sectors. Now I just don't want you to feel badly to ignore probably the most important sector in the economy, which is mining. Uh, and uh, in the case of uh, iron ore, um, Australia comes out on the high side. So I really have to congratulate you. Really, you always like to be at top, not, not just the middle. Uh, you're always at the top. Uh, so you are high on the tax side. Um, uh, when it comes, and this includes, by the way, the marginal effective tax and royalty rates includes the impact of royalties on marginal investments. There's no rent on marginal investments. That's because the return on capital is just equal to the cost of capital. And yet, with royalties, you still impose a tax at the margin, uh, which uh, ends or creates a wedge between that rate of return uh, on, on capital and what the after-tax rate of return uh, would be uh, with royalties. So that's taken into account. The $5 a ton charge is included here. 
which may not happen, according to what some people are predicting, although with a big debt in Western Australia, who knows what will happen in the future. Uh, but uh, certainly, if that had come in, uh, iron ore would be the most heavily taxed uh, uh, industry in Australia, but also uh, it would be taxed much more heavily than other competing countries that produce iron ore. And we've also done this with coal. Uh, coal also comes close to 40%. Um, but in this case, actually, Australia's uh, uh, tax burden and, and royalty burden on, uh, on investments is uh, not as bad as in China, because partly because China doesn't uh, give as generous treatment for exploration and development, uh, well, particularly exploration, uh, in, uh, compared to other countries. Uh, but also, uh, you can see U.S. Wyoming, there's a very high mar uh, royalty rate in, in Wyoming, and that causes it's uh, on coal, which causes it, it to have, uh, you know, a pretty high tax burden on, on investments in Wyoming. So I hope I get invited to Wyoming to talk about this sometime. It's a place I actually haven't, I've never been there. Um, so let me turn, I think, to, I think, probably the most interesting thing these days is talking about U.S. tax reform. And um, I'm going to talk about what I'll call the Ryan Plan. This is the House Blueprint uh, document that uh, has come out. Um, it's become the basic, it's had much of the attention for talking about tax reform uh, right now because after Trump got elected in, uh, in November, uh, really this was the only plan that people could really talk about at this point. And so uh, it's gotten a lot of attention uh, as a result, and it did have a fully articulated um, set of provisions, although there's still a lot of uncertainty about how a number of things would apply. And I won't go into that today, but certainly there are a lot of interesting aspects to that proposal. It does include uh, personal and corporate tax cuts. I'll talk about the corporate side in a moment. Um, and uh, to avoid the 10-year limit, the budget limit that uh, happened with the Bush tax cuts, that you know they expired after 10, uh, uh, 10 years, uh, this has to do with the budgeting process in, in the United States, what's called the, the bird rule. Uh, but in order to avoid uh, the 10-year limitation where everything has to go back to where it was after 10 years, uh, the plan has to balance with other provisions. And uh, the Ryan plan will balance roughly. And when you think about it, and I think there's been a lot of mystique about it, but wrong mystique about it, um, you can think of the Ryan plan really doing three things. It first of all abolishes the corporate income tax. You would no longer have a corporate income tax operating anymore in the United States. It would be similar to, uh, when you read the proposal, it's similar to adopting what economists would call the subtraction method value-added tax. It's not like the credit invoice one that 150 countries have. Actually, Japan started off with the subtraction method consumption tax, but soon they learned that they had to mark invoices, so they eventually moved closer and closer to the credit invoice method. Uh, but it's been, economists have called it the business transfer tax as well. So it's really adopting a VAT uh, with the border adjustments, and, uh, and it has wage expensing for uh, labor costs, or what economists might call a credit for labor costs, given that wage costs are deductible from the value-added tax under the Ryan plan. So that's really, I think, the best way of thinking about the Ryan plan. And when you put it in that context, this would be a huge improvement in competitiveness for the United States because they're going away from an origin-based uh, corporate income tax that falls on production to a destination-based uh, tax that would fall on consumers, effectively, uh, under their plan. And in fact, uh, here it's a comparison of the different plans. 
the federal corporate income tax rate. Uh, currently, it's 35 percent. Under the Trump reform, I'm, I'm using Trump uh, for what we think is in, in the package that was during the election campaign, uh, the rate would be 15 percent, but when you add on the state corporate income tax rates, that I'm assuming are still deductible, it would be roughly 21 percent. And then under the Ryan plan, it would be a 20 percent uh, federal rate uh, with, uh, and then when you include the state level taxes, it would be roughly a uh, little over 25 percent. Uh, there was also a special tax rate uh, on flow-throughs or pass-throughs, uh, which are not corporations but are businesses organized as limited liability companies, subchapter S, uh, small business companies in the United States. Uh, there would be a special rate that they would pay at 25 percent at the federal level. Unclear what the states would do in that case since those in income tends to be taxed under the personal income tax base. Um, there'd be expensing for real capital. Right now in the United States, there's a temporary bonus depreciation of 50% of uh, qualifying machinery uh, expenditures. Under the Trump plan, there would be an elective expensing for manufacturing only, just for that one industry. Under the Ryan plan, there would be expensing of tangible and intangible capital. And there's a question about land and inventories. I've had both from Department of Finance in Ottawa and uh, some experts in the United States say that land and inventories would not be expensed. I've, had, I've seen some people say inventories will be expensed and, uh, and not land. And then, of course, some people think that maybe both will end up getting expensed. Important provision, net interest deductibility would no longer be provided uh, under the Trump plan for manufacturing. You get expensing for capital, but not interest deductions because it's kind of like a double deduction. And under the Ryan plan, there would be no net interest deductibility. How you tax financial companies under this is still an open question. Nobody has answered that very well. And then there's other business preferences. Uh, both would call for elimination of a number of preferences. Uh, but of course, the important one under the Ryan plan is the border adjustments with exports being exempt uh, and imports being non-deductible, which is really just like a value-added tax where you put a tax at the border and then you exempt exports from value-added tax. It's really no different than that. Well, here's numbers. We just pulled this together. Uh, I've been going back and forth even while I'm here in Australia uh, with uh, my colleague in, in, in uh, Calgary, and we've been modeling the Trump plans and the, uh, and the Ryan plans. And you can see that the current effective tax rate in, in the United States is 34.6%. Uh, if you ignore bonus depreciation, depreciation, I sometimes argue you should because it's always been turned on and off in the United States, so companies can never uh, count on it uh, all the time. However, you assume that uh, bonus depreciation is in on a, on a permanent basis. Uh, that brings the effective tax rate down to 27.3% uh, in, in the United States. By the way, there's a very significant retail sales tax on capital purchases in the United States. It's a major component of almost 8 to 9 percentage points in these effective tax rates. The Trump plan uh, would lower the effective tax rate uh, to 21.4%. And then Ryan Plan 1, this assumes full uh, no expensing for inventories and land. Uh, the effective tax rate would, would be almost the same as the Trump plan, uh, as, I, as I've described it. Uh, but then with full expensing, it would bring it down further to 16.1%, uh, which is much lower. So just to give you an idea, how would that compare to other countries? Well, Australia is at 28.7%. That's uh, quite a bit higher than what the U.S. Uh, could end up with uh, under either the Trump plan, the Bryan plan, or some version of whatever is going to develop. 
Canada is not in a bad position. Uh, if Ryan 2 takes place, then we will be, we, we have created this huge business tax advantage in, in Canada, much to our, uh, much, much to our, our benefit, uh, but that, that business tax advantage will be gone. And that's actually quite important because when many businesses come to North America, there's a uh, predilection to go to the United States first because it's a huge market. If you can get X percent of 330 million people, that's a lot better than X percent of only 35 million people. So there's a tendency for many businesses to be to operate in North America to go to the United States first. Uh, but we created this huge business tax advantage over the past number of years, uh, and that's made many businesses decide to think about Canada uh, and not ignore Canada uh, as a result. But if the reform comes through in the United States, this could, be a, this could be a huge problem for Canada as well, uh, which is why recently the federal government has announced that they are putting off uh, tax expenditure review in the upcoming budget that's coming out on March 22nd. Then you, you can see the other countries too. I put in China, Germany, United Kingdom. United Kingdom is lowering, uh, this is their 20% corporate income tax rate, which they're going to further lower to 17%, and the OECD average amongst all these countries. So you can see what's uh, going to happen. It's uh, the Trump, whatever ta tax reform takes place in the United States, and we'll have to see what's going to evolve. Uh, there's many issues around trying to get it through the uh, House and, and the Senate. Uh, but there is a, a lot of commitment by the Republicans. They, they strongly agree, and even the Democrats agree, that the corporate income tax rate should, should decline in the United States. Even the Democrats have had proposals for that as well. Uh, theirs have been around 28% uh, for a new rate, some at 25. Um, the, uh, the Republicans are very much in favor of expensing for capital. And as you can see in the numbers that I have for the Ryan plan, that can make a big difference in lowering the effective tax rate uh, on capital. And, uh, and the border adjustment issue, I think, is the one that's most difficult at this point. Uh, but again, we'll have to see the important thing that it raises roughly $100 billion a year, which helps pay for that rate cut, which is why I think it stays on the table, uh, because the Republicans would like to make this more of a permanent change and not one that's eliminated after 10 years. And so I think we'll have to see uh, what will happen in the United States as a result. For Australia, I think even regardless of what uh, happens in the, United, in, in the United States, but the United States might be a good reason that Australia has to start thinking about its uncompetitive tax system, uh, is that really the proposal to lower it from 30 to 25 percent, as in the Henry report, I think was always the right one. I think it's. Uh, I think Australia has created a bad precedence of having a distinction between small and large business rates. We've done that in Canada. It's been a problem. I won't go into all the details, but uh, in fact, there's now some discussion to get rid of that in Canada, uh, and the current government is interested in that. If they can put up with all the pushback they'll get from the small business lobby that uh, gets created as a result of the these kinds of preferences. Um, there's certainly a, a real need to, I think, remove uh, stamp duties in Australia. In fact, I don't understand the role of any transfer taxes. Why does one want to interfere, interfere with mobility or readjusting portfolios from bad to assets to good assets? It just never makes sense to me. And there's an excellent Australian Treasury study that has shown that stamp duties and the corporate income tax are the two worst taxes to have in the, in the in the, in the Australian tax system and has, has its largest economic costs associated with them for every dollar that's raised. And then finally, uh, I do think there is a value to rethinking royalties in mining to try to make them more sensitive to costs, uh, such as what we do in Canada and all the provinces, uh, as well as in Northern Territory. 
In fact, I argue you get a more stable system with that because if prices boom, then governments will get more revenue because uh, revenue minus costs are going to be a lot higher and you'll collect more revenues uh, that way. And if um, prices drop, uh, profits drop, then governments will share that risk of, of less uh, resource taxes coming in as well. And, uh, and I think that is the, I think the approach that Henry was saying was the right one, the, the, the Henry report had. Uh, but it was wrong in, uh, in, in not understanding the relationship between the company income tax and the royalty that they were proposing, the mining tax at that time. By the way, I call it royalty because in Canada we call any resource tax a royalty because uh, the provinces own the resource and they, they collect the revenue. Uh, but um, but, in, uh, but in, uh, in, in the Henry report, the mining tax at 40% actually would have made mining marginal tax rates the highest amongst all industries in, in, in Australia, uh, as well as uh, one of the highest in the world. So it was not the rate of tax and the way it was structured uh, had a problem uh, because of the, co the company income tax in Australia. So I think I'll stop there and thank you very much. Mm -hmm.